Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Dean Sonderegger on the line. Dean, how are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you, Michael. Great to have you. You've got an interesting background. You do some awesome work. So I want you to share a little bit uh, with the audience, a little bit about you, and then we'll dive right into the conversation. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, so I, I lead a business. I work at Walters Kluwer in a business called uh, Legal and Regulatory U.S. And so I lead a business that the best way I would describe it helps attorneys stay current on uh, regulatory development. So what's happening in the regulatory environment and how can they use that? Um, and if you think about the world today, just to put that in context, there's a lot of change going on. So you see COVID probably is the clear example right now. So can I mandate vaccines for people in my workplace um, or for customers and so on? But there's things going on with the environment, with equity, with sustainability, even things like cryptocurrency. And so then attorneys ask, you know, what's the law in the U.S. for the Fed and for 50 states where the regulations and what are regulators like the SEC doing? And, and so that's what I try to do from a, from a value to my customer standpoint. My business is about 500 people working in the business and we are global. So we have folks in Europe, um, mostly in, in the U.S. and some in Europe uh, and uh, across m- many different states. And then and one of the unique things about my workforce is that pre-pandemic, we were about a third of the workforce was fully remote. Um, and at this point in time, uh, and I don't know how one would characterize where we're at from a pandemic standpoint, but I would say that we're uh, two-thirds remote um, uh, and, and we have limited offices open at this point in time. Yeah, I would imagine that, uh, well, that being a third remote early on probably gave you at least a little bit of a blueprint on how to roll that out uh, across the board on things for many organizations, especially law firms, uh, for example, probably didn't do a whole lot of that. That doesn't mean that attorneys aren't working late at night on things, you know, at their desk at home and things like that. But the actual, okay, going into your office and you don't get to do that during the pandemic uh, was, I know, surreal. I have personal friends that are in the legal field and I would you know, meet up with them at their office, you know, within the last, I'd say six months or so. And, you know, their office was still closed. So you walk in and all the lights are off and it's just like this, is this Sunday morning? Where is everybody? It's like, and that's just how it's been. And you mentioned something before that I want to dive into a little bit more. The ever-changing landscape law always changes. It's been that way forever, but my goodness, you know, this last 19 months, there have been so many different things thrown at lawyers, people wanting to know, okay, you know, what's the policy, like you said, on, on vaccines? What's the, vac- you know, what's the policy on, we can't configure our office completely to what the guidelines say that we need to do. Okay, do we have, you know, any type of leeway on this? Cryptocurrency, you know, we know at the time of this recording, Bitcoin hit an all-time high yesterday. So that's going to bring a lot of additional people into it going, okay, what's this all about? And okay, how do I invest in this? And in the U.S., it, it really depends on where you live. You know, there are certain states that are a little bit more, um, I want to say free-flowing, for lack of a better term. And then there's states like, you know, the great state of New York that you know, has some pretty tight restrictions on things. And there's a reason for that. So uh, I'm guessing you know, your phone 
um, is getting peppered all the time with all types of these uh, different inquiries. Yeah, and it's interesting. The um, just to hit on the first thing you said is that you know, when things kind of blew up in March of 2020, uh, we pivoted very quickly out of the office because we had been uh, a third virtual. So it was literally a matter of a, a week or two, and we were effectively running full bore. Um, I think we were all still adjusting and things like that. Our customers, the law firms themselves, your mileage varied. Some of them took a little bit longer because they really hadn't um, been uh, as accustomed to out of office. And some were, were much more virtual and they moved easily. They're all at this point in time uh, much better at that. And some are starting to come back into the office at some point in time. And it's typically on a volunteer basis like my office is. But the interesting thing about the change that occurred is that uh, believe it or not, there's still a fair amount of access to information where people get things in print, uh, it, whether it's in, in periodicals or books um, that they used to use to rely on getting information for these things. And so when you see rapid change, that makes print more difficult for starters. Um, but also, uh, folks aren't used to digesting things. So when we first started working in the pandemic, that was a concerted effort. We obviously have digital website kind of places to go for these things. And we encouraged our customers to go over there that we're still not using it. And it's usually typically a couple of attorneys that are, and I'm 53, so a couple of attorneys that are my age or older uh, that, that grew up on, on the print product. So that was a big thing. And then that pace of change that you talk about um, also exacerbated the problem. So we uh, kind of leaned in on some of those things and started putting out resources for free for customers. But it is truly a, a time like I've not seen um, ever in terms of the amount of regulatory activity and change going on. That kind of ties into, I think, one of the things that we've all suffered a bit when we're working in the pandemic is that um, the phrase I heard a friend use is that we're not um, uh, working from home, we're living at work at this point in time. And uh, so, you know, where is that boundary and how do we become more effective at things that we're doing uh, from a work standpoint? Because I think that as we start to realize there's a lot of work going on in a lot of places you've seen people cut back and staff, particularly in knowledge work, um, or it's been hard to retain staff because it's, it's a very hot job market right now. You start saying, how do I become more effective um, at the time that I spend? And that's, I think, a lot of the focus that we've had with our customers is say, can you become much more efficient at either interpreting information that you've got coming in or doing tasks uh, because the amount of work continues to go up, but the amount of time in the day continues to stay kind of set. And so that's been a lot of focus for us with our customers. You hit a great point on the um, living at work component because NordVPN did a study in 2020 and indicated Americans on average were working 20% more hours than they were before the pandemic. And my first thought was, okay, who found the 27-hour clock? I want one. Can I find it on Amazon? No, it's not for sale. Basically, everybody just traded their commuting time to work. And of course, so many people became full-time school teachers as well. So they had to navigate that around when they work, which made for longer hours and, and whatnot. And no one really had a footprint or guidelines on, okay, when do I work and when I don't? And because your teams, you could have you know 50 people on your team or in your case, 500, and there's 
dynamics around, okay, when are they available when they're not? Because, you know, there's home situations now that they have to deal with that weren't there before. And navigating, okay, how do we access the systems? Okay, we have to make sure it's secure. So we're going through VPN. So the VPN connection isn't connecting to the server. I can't get this file. And so you have all these little nuances that a lot of people have been dealing with on top of, oh, there's a pandemic that's killing people. And you know, you throw that into the mix and all the other things outside of things. I mean, it's, it's you know, there's been, of course, you know, a ton of focus on, on work and the challenges and, and all of that. But then, you know, there's, you know, there's this, you know, virus that's going around too, that was kind of the backdrop of, of all of this. But at the end of the day, it is an opportunity and, you know, legal in, in a lot of industries, but legal in particular, and we talked about this a little bit uh, before we jumped on, is legal is facing more changes from a technology standpoint than ever before. And, and we kind of alluded to it a minute ago, uh, but you know, for you know, attor- attorneys and other legal professionals that have been in the field for a while, it's, I, and I talked to you know, a lot of people, they're like, I, I don't know how to do my job anymore. And at first was the first few you know weeks and months, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And they were really lost. They felt like that first day after they passed the bar and okay, everything's good to go. And it's their first day of their first firm. And they're looking around and they're trying to remember what the code to the bathroom is. And they're just like this really green thing. And they're like, I, I feel new and lost, even though this my job hasn't changed. It's just the tools have. And it's been really eye-opening, I think, for a lot of people. But again, as you said before as well, I think people have adapted to it because they, they kind of figured out, okay, how to do all the things and they got their confidence back and, and now they're navigating. So it'd be interesting to see, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Once this pandemic is quote-unquote done, whatever done it means for this, where do you see things uh, as far as you know the industry that you work in? Is it going to be kind of a hybrid or uh, do you see additional innovation coming? We talk about this a lot in the sense of uh, what's permanent and what's a transitory uh, state. And I, I always give the example of, um, I, I think that the pandemic has, in a lot of cases, accelerated things that were already in play. Um, uh, so I think virtual work or hybrid work environments were things that are already in play. I give the example of uh, all this, the Amazon trucks that I see going through my street every day, uh, buying goods from Amazon had already started occurring and, and the de-emphasis of bricks, brick and mortar uh, uh, commerce, but the pandemic dramatically accelerated that. And if you're lucky enough to have bought Amazon stocks, say January 1, 2019, you're, you're really happy, or even December 31st, 2019, you're very happy right now. Um, and I think that in legal, you see that same thing. We, we have a study that we do called the Future Ready Lawyer Study, and we go out and we poll attorneys and law firms and in corporations uh, in the U.S. and Europe uh, around technology trends. And this is the third year that we've done that. One of the things that we have found is that when there is a correlation between investment and technology um, and the profitability of law firms. And so on average, the people that are actively investing in technology uh, are more profitable than their peers. And so you start to unwind that a little bit and you say, well, what's going on there? And, and it is 
the, the, that transformation in terms of how the market looks at value that then is turning to drive some of these. And so we have a pandemic that's, that's one could argue an artificial catalyst, if you will, that, that's pushing change. But the change that was occurring beforehand in legal is that I want to get to a particular outcome. Um, and, and so I'm paying for that outcome, whether it is a corporation that is buying a company and they want uh, uh, the, the support and M&A for that, or whether, you know, it's an individual that's getting divorced or, or, or setting up wills, trusts, estate, things like that. And that outcome kind of focus runs a little bit at odds with the traditional legal model, which has been a bill by the hour. So I, I cost $300 an hour, I cost $1,000 an hour, whatever I do for an attorney. And that has been the model is that I bill more hours and I make more money. Now, all of a sudden, you're in a situation where uh, there's probably less supply than, than, than is, necess- than is um, really necessary to meet demand, certainly true on the individual side. Um, and uh, at the same time, um, you've got this emphasis on I want the result to come out a particular way. And, and so what the, the savvier law firms have gotten into is say, well, hey, if I can use tools to get you the same or better result and take a tenth of the time to do it, then um, I can probably charge you more than a tenth of the time from a billable hour standpoint. So my profit goes up. Um, and, and that's an interesting thing. And an example of that, um, like a pretty simple example, is that when you buy a company, one of the things that you do as the purchaser is you hire a law firm to look at all the contracts that the company has that you're buying. So maybe all of the customer contracts and you say, are there any terms in here that are risky? Like for instance, this customer says, you can't just assign my business to a new new owner if it, if it occurs or a supplier or things like that. And back in the day, it literally was about four or five attorneys or more sitting in a big conference room with stacks of paper going through manually. Well, you have technology now that will read those contracts, which are all digital, by the way, at this point in time, and flag these things in a fraction of the time at at, at the the same accuracy or better. So the savvy firms say, okay, well, hey, I'm not going to charge you $450 an hour, Mr. Customer, for this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to use this technology, and I might still charge you $450 an hour, but it's a lot less hours that I've got, but my margin on that is phenomenal. And so those folks then turn around and say, okay, because of this more value that I'm giving you for the buck that I've got, um, I'm able to generate more profit, which at the end of the day, of course, is what all the people that are doing the work get paid on. Um, and, uh, And so I think that then starts to translate itself into the things that you highlighted. And I come into the work, I, I'm learning a different job than I thought that I had before. If I've been in the work, it is a different job than I started with 10 years ago. Um, and uh, But it does have the nice effect from a morale standpoint with the attorneys of saying, hey, now I'm doing something and I can see the value I'm doing and it's really great. And I, but I'm not, it's not drudgery per se, if you will. The firms that have not invested in some of this technology are struggling now to keep employees there because, you know, if you had a choice of going to work at a firm that would give you a tool that would review a thousand contracts in a day or spending 20 days in a conference room locked and not seeing light, what are you going to choose, right? So I think that that's, that's kind of the interesting thing is you start to see technology creeping in. It starts to make people more efficient at the work they're doing and in a lot of cases more effective because the other thing I would say is that when you have the first thing that you say is you say, well, is the software 100% accurate? And you say, no, it's not. But then again, neither are the 20 attorneys that are in the room uh, living off of coffee and, and, and pizza that's brought in and not seeing daylight for 20 days. You know, so. 
Yeah, that's a big thing. Utilizing technology and as you know, AI and AGI and all of those things get more into play. I, I see even more examples of that. And again, what that does is one, it allows law firms to take on more clients because they can handle the volume of those contract reviews because technology will allow for it. And then they can specifically focus on the key areas that they like. And one of the big things in recruitment, doesn't matter what industry you're in, is if people are working in their sweet spot, what motivates them, what they like to do, because we all have things we enjoy doing and we all have those things that are like, oh, don't want to do that. Automate some of those things. So we are just focusing on the things that we like to do. It gives us the opportunity to do those things and then also explore and look at new things to do and new ideas or maybe new channels of business that we wouldn't have been able to even think about before because we were, like you said, locked up in a room for 20 days with no daylight and stale pizza. And, um, <laughs> and, and hopefully the coffee, the coffee tends to be good. Uh, that, that, that's a key one. If you don't have the good coffee in there, you're in trouble here. You're, you're, it's, you know, they're, they're going to just skip entire sections and it's going to be bad. But uh, so I, I think that there's, there's a generational aspect of this too, right? So, uh, you know, I think that when I look at my peers, many of whom matriculated uh, into law school from graduating and then went and, and worked in firms, there was an expectation at that point in time that you were going to work, you know, the 60, 70 hour plus weeks um, for the first several years as an associate and that you, and you would either decide to leave or you would try to get onto a partner track. I think that you see, um, when I look at, um, and my kids are 23 and, uh, and 25, when I look at kids, my, my kids' generation, um, I think you see more of a longing for purpose um, in the work. And, and so that, that trade-off that perhaps my generation made where you said, okay, I'm going to suck it up and do some, some work that I just really don't like because at the end of the, 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 the rainbow there, there is that pot of gold. I think you see that the kids that are, uh, uh, and I use the term kids for people in their 20s, but I, I think you see that th this generation is much hungrier for reason and purpose behind the work. And particularly if you see your peers doing things in a way that seems much more compelling, uh, they're much more prone to move. Um, and so I think it is really a wake-up call for employers to say that you have to, as you look at the next generation of talent come in, you have to be cognizant of that um, and, and not assume kind of the patterns, if you will, that were there the last 20, 30 years ne necessarily apply um, because you know, workforce attraction and retention is a key part of, of any business being successful at this point in time. Almost well, definitely. I completely agree with you. And, and in closing... Where do you see things in the next, I used to say, in the next five to 10 years? But it's hard to even fathom that now. It's like each year is almost like five years in, in change and, and adaptation and things like that. But you know, where do you see things maybe in the next couple of years when it comes to law, leadership, um, just you know, your own personal observations? Where do you think things are going to land? So if I were to put my prognosticator's hat on, I would say that... Um, the impact of technology and of of connectivity and and cheap data storage and processing power, those things kind of in a nexus together are are going to increase the visibility, if you will, into the legal landscape dramatically. So one of the things that you think about is like, hey, if I'm writing a lease up, um, it's unclear to me what terms there should be in a lease because there's a million leases and it's the opinion of every attorney. I think what you see is the democratization of information on that is going to really 
make that a much easier task. And you still want a legal professional, but an easier task for that to do. So what does that then entail happen, the impact of the technology? I think you see fewer attorneys required to do the high dollar, high value work you see in large law firms and corporate. But I think that there is a huge unmet demand right now. So for you and I, uh, or for most people, um, we may see an attorney professionally, again, if we're getting divorced, uh, if we're creating a will, but it's very hard for us to engage uh, a legal professional for anything of substance because it's so expensive. And so I think what you'll see is that the push down into um, the general public, the ability to get legal services uh, at an affordable rate and really hitting that access to justice gap starting to erode, um, you know, if you have a dispute with your landlord or things like that. Um, and I think that that's, that's a really positive thing for our society. Uh, I think we've already seen the, the analog of this occur in the tax world, ironically enough, is that when you saw the turbo taxes and other uh, tax uh, software uh, pieces come out and the professional counterparts that the accountants used, you didn't see a drop actually in the amount of business that accounting firms did in terms of tax prep, but you did see a drop uh, in the number of CPAs they used to do that. And so you saw that kind of uh, that movement there. And then the flip side of that is that if you are not, you know, a millionaire and you want to get tax help, there are a whole host of people available at this point in time. Most strip malls have, have there's, there are accounting firms that have focused in on, on kind of the lower level, uh, less income tax returns. Uh, they have outreach to people uh, who are lower income uh, for to get child tax credits, things like that. So I think you'll see some of that happen in law. And I think as a whole for society, that's going to be a wonderful thing. Yeah, I've seen some of that come to fruition already, and I'm excited to see you know the utilization of tech, technology to make things more accessible for everybody. So, Dean, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and this amazing work you do? Thanks, Michael. Um, I think that uh, the the company is Walters Kluwer, which is W O L T E R S. K-L-U-W-E-R. It's a Dutch company. Um, and if you're interested, uh, I would encourage anybody to please connect with me directly on LinkedIn. I, I love to talk with people and I love to get uh, different perspectives. Um, and, and, and if you, you search for Dean, because it's not a common name, D-E-A-N and Walters Kluwer, I'll come up very quickly. My last name is Sonderegger. That's a harder name to spell. So uh, thank you, Michael. I appreciate the time. Thank you. And I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. So again, thank you, Dean, for your time today. Really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.